Thanks, Taylor. That's a beautiful song. Thanks, Ken. You guys are a blessing to encourage us today. If you have your Bibles with you, open up to Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at an incredible, familiar text, but maybe kind of through a new lens today as we consider that today is Mother's Day. I wanted to say a happy Mother's Day to my mom, my mother-in-law, actually. I call her my mom, and my dad are here from Texas, so happy Mother's Day. I get to do that because I'm the pastor, uh, so uh, just really appreciate you, Mom. Thanks for raising your kids to look to Christ. Thanks for being a faithful example for me personally, so happy Mother's Day. And I um, wanted to, uh, you to know that uh, all of you as moms are so appreciated, and we are so very thankful for, for you. I hope this message will encourage you. I'm going to challenge you, but I hope that you'll take it as encouragement as well, okay? So the title of the sermon is Three Women and a Baby. No, it's not a soap opera. Not a skit, all right? It's a real story in the Bible that we'll look at this morning, three women and, and a baby. Admittedly, I kind of stole the title and edited it from Kevin DeYoung, who at the Council of Biblical Manhood and Womanhood preached a 10-minute sermon on three women and no funeral. And that's where I immediately had the idea of like, you know what? I think I'm going to preach that on Mother's Day. So all I really did was take his outline, but uh, you'll see it in the text. It just kind of unfolds beautifully for us as we see three women and a baby. Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Moses writes in the Pentateuch, Now a man from the house of Levi went and took his wife, a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took, him, took for him a basket made of bulrushes and dabbed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it along the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because, she said, I drew him out of the water. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the privilege of reading this passage of Scripture so that we could learn what you want us to learn today about your providence in the life of Moses using these three women to all aid in his rescue from danger. Help us to be encouraged by their example. Help us to learn what you want us to learn so we can live it out in our own lives this very day. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I did a little bit of research this week as to what stay-at-home moms make. You know what stay-at-home stay moms make? They make nothing, right? But they could make a lot because they have such gifts and such talents and such abilities that if they were to be employed with the type of services they do at home professionally, 
they could make a pretty good buck. In fact, listen to what salary.com states about the typical number of hours per week and the type of work that the average mom does. You ready? Housekeeper, seven hours a week. Cook, nine hours. Daycare teacher, 12. Facilities manager, 10. Computer operator, eight. Unless you don't know computers, then you might spend more time there. Counselor, five. Janitor, five hours. Van driver, eight hours. Laundry machine operator, seven hours. Chief executive officer, 10 hours. Administrative assistant, three hours. Bookkeeper, two. Event planner, five. Interior designer, four. Nutritionist, two. And nurse, one. Now, if you count all those hours up during a week, that's 98 hours. And moms, you're making more than 150K a year. Go moms. All right. Making 150K. That's pretty good. Right? Pretty good. That's what it would be like if you were employed in the workplace. And you know what? The truth is we could never repay our moms for what they do. It's really priceless. It's worth far more than 150K, the kind of work that our moms do on a daily basis basis to the glory of God taking care of our children. So how can we ever appropriately say thank you? And yet, I read this week about how there were three sons who were very successful, and they discussed the gifts that they gave their elderly mother on Mother's Day. The first said, I built her a big house that she can live in all to herself. The second said, I bought mom a brand new Mercedes. The third said, I've got you both beat. You know how mom enjoys the Bible, and you know she can't see very well. So I sent her a parrot that can recite the entire Bible. It took 20 seminary students working five hours a week over 12 years to teach that bird the Bible. I had to make a pledge to contribute $100,000 a year for 10 years to the seminary. But it was well worth it. Mom just has to name the chapter and verse, and the parrot will recite it. Soon thereafter, the beloved mom mailed her letters of thanks. She wrote to the first son, Michael, the house you built is too large. I live only in one room, but I have to clean the whole house. (laughs) She wrote to the second son, Marvin, I'm nearly blind, so I can't drive. I stay at home all the time, so I never use the Mercedes. Dearest Melvin, she wrote to her third son, you were the only son to have the good sense to know what your mother likes. That chicken was absolutely delicious. (laughs) Oh, man. All right. Well, in in all seriousness, I want to take a moment this morning to, to thank all of our godly moms here today who, again, give tirelessly and relentlessly to take care of your husband and your children. And I want you to know that, moms, you really do have a special gift in motherhood. There's no way your husband or your children could ever appropriately thank you. And the culture that we live in really doesn't thank you much. They despise you. They despise you because the work that you do goes against what it is that our culture is all about. And I want to encourage you today that a mom should never feel that her role as a mom is inferior to any other job description on earth. 
Instead, a godly mom has the opportunity to live the gospel of Jesus Christ out every day in front of and with your children. A mom should never believe the lie that somehow she is, that what she's doing in those, in those early years is not important. Instead, a, a godly mom has the privilege of molding the character of her kids as God hopefully regenerates their hearts. A, a mom should never back down from any teenage child who at times might rebel, but rather she should forge ahead with grace and with clarity, standing firm with strength, and with resolve. And she should pray day and night for the Spirit's power to transform the life of that child. The question is not, will, will moms one day do something as useful as a man? But will a man ever do half as something as useful as a mother? Listen to what the Bible says about mothers in the book of Proverbs. You can just listen along to some familiar ones. Proverbs 1, 8 and 9. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 20 and 21. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always, tie them around your neck. Proverbs 31, the virtuous woman, verse 25 and following. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is in vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Have you ever thought that that virtuous woman more is identified there, possibly, to describe her motherhood than is that it describes her marriage. Interesting to think about. Moms are to be thanked. They are to be praised. And so this morning on Mother's Day, I want to encourage you with the story of three women and a baby. No, it's not a joke. It's a real story that we've already read here from Exodus chapter 2. And the sermon today is about how God used three women in Moses' life to give him life to keep him alive, and to prepare him to be a great deliverer of God's people from Egypt. If you're taking notes this morning, it goes like this. The first woman in uh, Moses' life is Moses' mother, Moses' mom. In verse 1 and 2, we read this. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as a wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him Three months. And so let me just first of all say the first characteristic of mothers, uh, of, of uh, Moses' mom, that I think all mothers want to have, right, is the idea of this faithful, be faithful to keep God's law over Pharaoh's edict. Be faithful to keep God's law over Pharaoh's edict. Let me just be sure to remind you of what's going on here in the book of Exodus, all right? So Exodus is about the great deliverance of Israelites who had been in bondage in Egypt for 400 
430 years. And so if you remember, at the end of Genesis, there was a famine in the land. And so they sent their people where Moses had gone, excuse me, Joseph had gone before them, remember, and he was second in the land to, to save up the grain to be able to feed their people, right? And so Joseph had eventually moved his whole family, 70, to the land of Goshen where they lived for many years. And that picks us up to where we are in Exodus chapter 1. Look at verse 8 with me, if you will. Exodus chapter 1, verse 8. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. And they built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. And the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves. And made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick. And in all kinds of work in the field. And in their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Pua. When you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on, their, on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this? And let the male children live. The midwife said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile. But you shall let every daughter live. Well, that's the context of our story. It's an infanticide. Moses is supposed to be killed. He is supposed to be murdered by the king of Egypt. And so in this very setting, we see now in chapter 2, verse 1, that this man from the house of Levi went and took as a wife a Levite woman. If you were to look at Exodus chapter 6, verse 20, we will learn the name of Moses' father and his mother. In Exodus chapter 6, verse 20, it says, Amram took his wife, Jochebed, or pronounced Jochebed, like with a Y, Jochebed, his father's sister, and she bore him Aaron and Moses, the years of the life of Amram being 137 years. So here we have their names, Amram and Jochebed. Kind of fun to say that in Hebrew if you want to try it sometime. All right? uh, but both Amram and Jacobed were from the priestly tribe of Levi. The Levites would eventually be given a special responsibility of caring for the tabernacle of God. In fact, in Numbers chapter 1, verse 
50 and 51, their duties are given to them as Levites, but appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of the testimony and over all of its furnishings and over all that belongs to it. They are to carry the tabernacle and all its furnishings, and they are to take care of it and shall camp around the tabernacle. When the tabernacle is set out, the Levites shall take it down. And when the tabernacle is to be pitched, the Levites shall set it up. And if any outsider comes near, he shall be put to death. So we understand here that through their lineage, through Amron and Jacobed's lineage, they're giving way to the priestly duties of Israel. And we also learn in Exodus that Moses is not just one of two children, him and Aaron, but he's one of three children. And Moses' sister, her name is given in Exodus chapter 15, verse 20, where we read about Miriam, and how she celebrates after the children of Israel crossed over the Red Sea on dry ground. It was Miriam that celebrated this deliverance from Pharaoh's chariots at the Red Sea. And so if you're looking for one verse that encapsulates the whole family with their names, you could turn to Numbers chapter 26, verse 59. Numbers 26, 59 puts the whole family in perspective. We read there, the name of Amram's wife was Jacobed, the daughter of Levi, who was born to Levi in Egypt, and she bore uh, she bore to Amram, Aaron, and Moses, and Miriam, their sister. So there you have it. We have a mom and dad and three kids. And so when Jacobed gave birth to Moses, we understand from other texts that Aaron was actually three years older than Moses, so he was already alive. And we also understand from this text that obviously Miriam was even older than that, as she plays an important role in the story. So when Jacobed gave to Moses, uh, gave him birth, she hid him for three months. She, she would not have an abortion. She would not commit infanticide. Jacobed was not a murderer. She would obey the law of God rather than the law of man. And so certainly we could take away from Jacobed the fact that she was faithful, right? She was a faithful mom to keep God's law over keeping man's law. Certainly this would remind us of the apostle Peter in the book of Acts after he was arrested for preaching the gospel and then he was, he was disciplined for doing such. Acts 5.29, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. Moms, you must develop a conviction in your heart at this very moment that you will obey God rather than men. We live in a culture that at any moment, at any time, could make rules that would go contrary to the word of God. And you must decide in this moment, are you going to be the kind of mom who is faithful to God? Or are you going to be the kind of mom who's looking out for your own hide? And what we see here is that this is a godly woman who will fight for the life of her child. Will you fight for the life of your children? Will you fight for the minds and the hearts of your kids? Are you willing to go against the fray, against the culture, and against what's out there in order to protect your kids? We see here a mom who's faithful to do just that. It doesn't matter what the laws of the world are. What matters is what the law of the creator is. Your creator has commanded you to give life maintain life, and instruct that life to look to Christ. We are to follow his law and his commandments. And I want to encourage you today, moms, do not be afraid. Do not be frightened. Stand firm in the strength of the Lord. Trust in the power of his might. Walk in the enabling of his spirit. Don't cower. Don't back down. Be a godly mom who's faithful. 
not only do we see this characteristic in Moses' mom, but secondly, there in your outline, we see that she was courageous as well. Courageous to risk her life for the life of her son. In many ways, this is a rephrase of the first point, but in verse 2 we read, the woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. I mean, you understand that to go against Pharaoh was a death sentence. To go against the king of Egypt and say, no, 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 I'm going to let my son live would have been signing your own death warrant. But this woman, Yahubed, was not afraid. She was filled with courage. She knew her God. She trusted in Yahweh. In fact, she's mentioned in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11. Turn to Hebrews 11, verse 23. You may not know this, but in Hebrews chapter 11, 23, it's Yaakobed and her husband Amron that are actually inferred strongly in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. You're familiar with this verse, but notice the emphasis of verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Notice that in verse 23, it is not Moses' faith that is highlighted. It is his parents' faith. It is their faith that is highlighted in verse 23. Moses' faith is highlighted in verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now we see his faith. But the verse before, verse 23, is about the faith of Jacobet. She is one of the women strongly inferred in verse 23 of Hebrews 11. So Jacobet had great courage. Courage doesn't mean that you have no fear. Courage means doing what is right in the face of fear. So it's not like Jacobet probably wasn't afraid for her own life, but she still did the right thing. Courage is operating on your own faith based in God's word instead of operating out of fear based on man's wishes. Somebody who has courage is going to do the right thing and they're going to do it for God's glory. That's courage. Just one more thing here, if I can. Notice how Exodus 2.2, hold your place in Hebrews, but Exodus 2.2, it says that he was a fine child. That's the ESV translation. In the NASB, it says he was a beautiful child, right? That he was beautiful. In the text I just read to you from Hebrews 11.23, notice it says, because they saw that the child was beautiful. If you keep those two in mind and look at Acts 7.20, Acts 7.20 was Stephen's message the day he was martyred to fellow Jews about the Christ child who came through the redemptive history of Israel. And here's what he says. This is what Stephen says as recorded by Luke in Acts 7.20. At this time, Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house. Question, why are these three different authors talking about the beautiful baby Moses? Could it be that since Moses is who wrote the Pentateuch, that he had spent a little time reviewing his own baby album and said, you know what, I'm just going to kind of insert in there, I was a beautiful baby. I was a good-looking kid. I mean, check this out. Mama, I was, I was a fine child. So is that what Moses is doing? Is he inserting in the text a display of his physical beauty? Is that, is that really what the author of Hebrews would be doing in the hall of faith, talking about how some people were sewn in two because of their faith, that all of a sudden he wants to give a shout out to the Moses' beauty as a baby. 
I mean, is that what Stephen's talking about in Acts 7 when he's about to be martyred? That he wants to talk about the beauty of some baby. Well, what, what in the world is going on here? Is Moses just a beautiful baby and the authors of Scripture just can't get over the fact of how beautiful he was? Or is there something else going on? And what I would like to point out to you is that the word for fine in the Hebrew, fine child or beautiful child, is actually the word tov, which means good or pleasant. In fact, if you've been to Israel, you well remember every day when you got up and got on your tour bus, your guide said, Boker Tov, which means what? Good morning. Boker Tov. You guys forgot your trip to Israel already. Okay. So the idea is that Tov means good. It means fine. It means beautiful. The word could also be translated to be glad or joyful. It could mean of rank, position, or acclaim. It can even mean something of great value. Adam, I'm still not following you. What, what are you trying to get at here? There is something more going on than the fact that Moses was a beautiful baby. I believe it is possible that Moses' parents had a special revelation from God to understand that it's possible that their child could be the one. You say the one to do what? The one to fulfill the prophecy given in Genesis chapter 15. Turn to Genesis 15 and be reminded of the Abrahamic covenant, how God made a special promise to Abraham of what would happen in his lineage after he died. And in Genesis chapter 15, starting in verse 13, we read this. Then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. Well, what's that talking about? That's talking about Israel being enslaved in Egypt. He already told Abraham, this is what's going to happen. Your, so, your, your lineage is going to be in another country for 400 years, and they're going to be slaves there. Verse 14, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. So there's a prophecy of deliverance. At some point, they're going to come out. When? After the 400 years. Verse 15, but as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. Verse 16, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. We have a clear prophecy in Genesis chapter 15 of the fact that Israel would go into Egypt. They would be there for 400 years or four generations or exactly 430 years according to the other references. But the idea is then they would come out and they would come back. In fact, according to many Jewish scholars, there was a rumor floating around at that time that God was going to raise up a deliverer to free the Israelites from their bondage to Egypt. It was well known that the time had come for the Israelites to be set free. This is precisely the reason why Pharaoh gave the edict to kill all baby boys. So when Amram and when Jacobed saw their baby boy, and he was allowed to live. Maybe they thought, could this be the one? Could this be a good child, a pleasant child, a child that has a claim, a child that has a purpose that goes beyond just living on earth, but a purpose to deliver God's children? Now, let me be clear. Nowhere does the Bible specifically say that God revealed to Jacobed and Amron that Moses was that child. But do you know what faith is? Faith is taking a general promise from God's word and applying it in a specific situation in your life. 
generally, the parents knew it's about time for a deliverer. Specifically, they're thinking, we're going to spare the life of this child in case this is it. Faith is taking a general promise from God's word and applying it in a specific situation in your life. Faith is taking what you know to be true and living it out. In order to live a life of faith, you must be willing to take the general principles and give them specific applications. This is Moses' mom doing what moms are supposed to be doing, living a life of faith. Moms, take courage today to live a life of faith. Now, I'm not saying you're going to have a Moses, right? We don't need another deliverer. He's already come in the person of Christ. But I am saying you take all the general principles of parenting and of mothering and being a godly Christian, and you apply them specifically in the heart and the life of your kids with the Spirit's help, and watch what God does. It could be that you've given birth to a great evangelist or a great pastor or a great missionary or a great businessman or a teacher or a doctor or a lawyer. doesn't really matter his profession. What matters is that he or she would come to know Christ. You take faith generally, you apply it specifically, and you'll be walking in the footsteps of Jacobin. She was faithful. She was courageous. Living a life of faith requires dependence, but it also results in action. Notice the action that Jochebed takes in verse 3. Your next blank there is resourceful. She was resourceful but reliant on God's providence. Verse 3, as the story continues, when she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and dabbed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. Now, what's happening here? She's having faith, but she's also at work, is she not? She made him a basket, or at least obtained a basket of bulrushes, or that would be uh, papyrus reeds. She covered this wicker basket with bitumen, which is tar and pitch. This tar and pitch was used, no doubt, to waterproof the basket, which would deliver Moses from the danger of the Nile River. This is not the first time the word pitch is used in the Bible. You could back up all the way to Genesis chapter 6 and understand that just as Noah made an ark with gopher wood and pitch to rescue his family from the flood, Jacobed made a miniature ark of papyrus reeds and pitch to deliver her son from the waters of the Nile. Just as God used Noah to build an ark to continue the human race. God used Jacobed to build a basket to continue the Hebrew nation. Just as Noah's ark is a picture of salvation, of God rescuing his people from judgment, so also is Moses' basket a picture of salvation from judgment as well. You understand what I'm saying here? We see a little glimpse of the gospel deliverance even in the story of God's faithfulness to rescue his people. God shows us the picture of deliverance, 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 time and time again until we see the ultimate deliverer who is Christ. Jacobed was courageous and faithful. She was resourceful. She got to work. Her faith was not listless. Her courage was not lazy. She was resourceful, but she relied on the providence of God. You, you already know how the story ends. God blessed Jacobed's faithfulness, and she got to take Moses back until he was weaned. In fact, she got paid for nursing her own child. That's a pretty good deal. 
And so, Mom, this is what God has called you to do, to be resourceful but reliant on God's providence in your life to provide for you what you need when you need it. In that moment of your fear, in that moment of your crisis, start to put together a little pitch and a little basket, and you look to the grace of God. You begin to apply his principles, and you trust that God will bring the deliverance. Every effort to rescue your child from danger whether it be physical or spiritual, is a beautiful picture of God's grace in the life of your child. Again, consider Proverbs 31. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. This describes Jacobed. Does it describe you? With your time, with your efforts, resourceful, but reliant on the providence of God to do a special work of grace in you as you raise your kids to look to Christ. Be faithful to keep God's word. Be courageous to risk your life for that of your children. Be resourceful but reliant on God's providence. The second woman I want us to look at today is Moses' sister. We already know her name is Miriam. She has a beautiful part to play in the story. At verse 4, she is, your next blank, responsible. She is responsible to keep an eye on Moses. Let's see what happens to this basket. Verse 4, and his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. I love the dependability of Miriam. If you are here this morning and you are a young girl, this message is for you. For you are possibly a mother in the making. If you are a young girl, you have much you could learn from Miriam this morning. Look at her love for her brother. Look at the way that she is able to help her mother. Are you able to do that, young girl? Are you able to come alongside your mom and to help her out? Are you able to listen to your mom, to love her, to learn from her, to serve her? Don't argue with your mom. Don't fight against her. Love your mother. Obey your mom. And may your mom be able to count on you to be responsible, to be dependable, to be teachable, that at the day of crisis, she knows she can count on you to help out. That's the kind of daughter Miriam was. She is a young woman in the life of Moses who is very responsible. Verse 4, again, following along, watching the basket to see what will happen. Your next blank says, not only was she responsible, she's capable, capable to provide a reasonable plan. Notice verse 7 and 8. We'll just kind of skip down there uh, for the sake of time. And the idea is when, when Pharaoh's daughter finds the baby, verse 7, then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Uh, notice how Miriam does not say too much, but how she also does not say too little. She was very wise. She was quick-witted. She was clever. No one could know exactly what was going to happen to this basket, but Miriam was ready. 
She was in the game. She was engaged. She is going to be a helper to her mom. Miriam knew what to do in this situation, and that seems to be the way Miriam lives the rest of her life. There is a couple of times where she lost heart and lost faith, and God confronted her, and she got leprosy, right? But she repented and came back. But there's other times in, in the life of, Mir- of Miriam where she's like an incredible example, such as what is recorded for us in Exodus 15, that I alluded to earlier, after the crossing of the Red Sea, Moses gave praise to God, and after Moses gave praise to God in Exodus 15, 20, then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. She was a leader. All the other women said, we're following Miriam, as she began to dance and to celebrate the deliverance of God through the passing of the Red Sea. And Miriam sang to them, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. I always love that song by Miriam because it reminds us that God is the deliverer. It's not Moses. It's, it, she's singing to God, saying he has triumphed gloriously. Uh, he has thrown the horse and rider into the sea. This song was filled with victory. It was steeped in faith and in gratitude. And I would like to say Moses' sister was a responsible and a capable young woman. And in Christ, the same can be true of you. God has not called you to be a whiner, but a winner, one who overcomes life's hardest obstacles because of Christ. God has not called you to be self-occupied with entertainment. God has called you to be an energizer of his people. God has not called you to sit around and do nothing. God has called you to stand up and to serve the Lord your God. There's a lot we could learn from looking at the example of Miriam in this story. The last woman in the story is Moses' adopted mother. Moses' adopted mother, here we see that this is Pharaoh's daughter. In verse 5, we'll start off with the word curious. She was curious as to what was in the basket. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. While her young women walked beside the river, she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. Some would ask, is she really bathing in the river? The scripture says she bathed. It it is known of the royalty uh, of Egypt that they didn't have to go to the river to bathe. They could have certainly had someone else fetch their water, bring it to the palace, heat the water, and they could take a bath right there. But this particular bathing, it is argued from many commentaries, could have been some type of religious ceremony while the the Hebrews, uh, excuse me, the Egyptians didn't worship the Nile River itself. They did see the Nile River as as a demonstration of life and fertility. So it is possible that Miriam is coming down to carry out some type of religious activity, and yet, lo and behold, in the providence of God, here comes this basket of a greater God, the, the, the God of providence, who's providing this basket an opportunity for her to play a part in his redemptive story. Little did this princess know what would happen to her on that day. We see next that she is compassionate. She is compassionate to do the right thing. Verses 6 through 9 talk about that when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying, and she took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. And then we have Miriam come to her. We've read that, verses 7 and 8. And then verse 9, and Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. How wise of our all-knowing creator to create women with the exact temperament that he gave them. I mean, can you imagine what might have happened if it had been a prince of Egypt 
who was at the water's edge that day when a crying baby showed up in a basket. I don't know if you know this, but men don't like crying babies, especially if it's not their own. So it is much more likely that if it had been a prince of Egypt, he might have taken the baby and thrown him over his shoulder right into a crocodile's mouth. That's probably what a guy would have done. But God in his kindness developed the temperament of men and women differently to where this woman can't help but to have immediate pity and compassion on this child. That's how she was created to respond, and she responds appropriately. And I'm so thankful that even this unbeliever is able to show us common grace by her maternal instinct that immediately kicked in, and she became an instrument used by God to bring about deliverance. Pharaoh's daughter was kind enough to rescue this child and care for him. God used a baby's tears to control the heart of a powerful princess. As happened so many times through scripture, when God wants to start a special work, he sends a baby in a special way. This is how God gave us Isaac, born to his mom, 90 years old. Poor Sarah, but thankful, right? This is how God gave us the prophet Samuel, born through the tears and barrenness of his mother, Hannah. This is how God gave us John the Baptist, born to Elizabeth, of whom the scripture says was barren and advanced in years. And most of all, that is how God gave us his son, born to the Virgin Mary, a miraculous work, very God becoming very man and the savior of the world. God can use the weakest things to defeat the strongest of enemies. For it is when I am weak, the scripture says, that I am made strong. A baby's tears were God's first weapon in his war against Egypt. The last thing that we see here is that this adopted mother was committed, committed to raise Moses as her son. Verse 10, when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son, and she named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. The child would have likely have been anywhere between one and three years old after Moses was weaned. Yachabed kept her word and brought her child to Pharaoh's daughter. Moses then became Pharaoh's daughter's son. She named him Moses, which is actually an Egyptian word. It means born or son. But it sounds kind of like the Hebrew word for drawing him out of water. Years later, his name would remind Moses of the God who rescued him, not only from the waters of the Nile, but also from the waters of the Red Sea. In many ways, he must admire, we must admire, Pharaoh's daughter for at least doing the best possible thing that she could at the time. In spite of her hard-hearted father, she had a tender compassion for this helpless babe. God often raises up friends for his people, even amongst his enemies. The tradition of the Jews is that Pharaoh's daughter had no child of her own and that she was the only child of her father. So some would argue that maybe Moses is in the succession immediately to the crown. Well, that could be debated. It is clear that we know for sure that Moses received the best education and training known to man. For Stephen said in Acts 7.22, And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his word and his deeds. However, none of his power persuaded Moses to abandon his Hebrew origin. In fact, we're told in Hebrews 11, the text that we've already looked at, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused 
to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the rewards. It's interesting to me that God used his own Trojan horse to defeat the power of Egypt. In the wisdom of God, he placed someone on the inside that would later bring the kingdom of Egypt down to its knees. One commentator remarks, quote, the devil was foiled by his own weapon inasmuch as Pharaoh, whom he was using to frustrate the purpose of God, is used of God to nourish and bring up Moses, who was to be his instrument in confounding the power of Satan. Again, we can be amazed at the providence of God. And this is all possible because of the faith of Jacobed, the ingenuity of Miriam, and the compassion of Pharaoh's daughter. An unlikely band of women to assist and to carry out God's great plan of redemption. You know, there are more similarities between Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Jacobed, the biological mother of Moses, than you may think. Similarities between Mary, the biological mother of Jesus, and Jacobed, the biological mother of, of uh, Moses. Let me tell you a few of them. Both moms had Jewish sons who were born to deliver God's people from bondage. Both moms gave birth to sons who were the fulfillment of ancient prophecies. Both moms bore sons who were in grave danger of being killed as infants by evil kings. Both moms were in Egypt at the time of the attempted murder of their child. Both moms witnessed the deliverance of their baby by God's divine plan. Both moms had to give up their sons to do the work that God had called them to do. Both moms had sons who experienced great persecutions, but also brought about greater victories. But only one mom... Only one mom gave birth to the Savior of the world. And here on this Mother's Day, it's that son that I want you to look to on this day. I invite you to meet this son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who alone can save you from your sins. You may be here today to honor your mom. If that's why you're in our service, you are welcome here. We are so glad that you've come. But I call you not to only honor your mother on this Mother's Day, but to honor the God who created you by turning from your sin and turning to his provision in the Lord Jesus Christ who suffered and died that you may live. Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, shed his blood as the only atoning sacrifice that can wash away your sins and deliver you from the judgment of God. If you will repent of your sins and believe in the risen Savior, you shall be delivered from your sin, not by an ark, not by a basket, but by the cross of Christ. He bled and he died for you, that you could be rescued and delivered from your sin. If you would come to Christ this day, if you were to do that, I promise you, your mother would have the best Mother's Day ever couple of thoughts as we wrap up. As a mom, are you determined to obey God rather than to obey man? 
As a mom, do you live that out on a daily basis? I'm going with God no matter where the culture goes, no matter what they can or tell me that I can or can't do as a mom. I will obey God rather than man. Secondly, as a mom, are you living a life of faith by taking general principles in God's word and applying them in specific ways in your life? Last, as a mom, are you willing to give up your children to do the work that God has called them to do. Maybe you're raising up a pastor or a missionary or a doctor or a lawyer. Whoever you're raising up, are you raising them up to give them away to do what God has called them to do? I hope that on this Mother's Day, you've learned some valuable lessons that you could apply from these three women and from this baby. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the privilege of just looking at your word, which is so robust with truth and with meaning and with, with, with pointing us to the deliverance that we can find in the Lord Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you would help our moms today to feel loved and to feel encouraged that we're so appreciative of how they give effort, they just give all their effort and their time and their hard work. I pray that you would encourage them and that you would allow them to do their work in the power of the Spirit for the glory of God. Father, I pray that all of us would leave this service changed because of the challenges we've received from your word and at the same time rejoicing just like Miriam was with that tambourine and singing songs about our deliverance of our great God. May we be overwhelmed with your goodness and your grace to us and may we respond by singing, by obeying, by walking a life of faith. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.